Good evening. It is good to see each of you. We really do want to be closer to our Father. If you're a guest, we're glad that you're here. It encourages us that you're here. If you'd like to be open your Bibles, we'll begin in Jeremiah the ninth chapter and continue to study uh, the sermon that we began this morning. Uh, we did receive a phone call that Miss W. Bush passed away at 425 this afternoon, as already mentioned, and very peaceful. And uh, the family will be making arrangements tomorrow and we'll be able to send out a phone tree and let you know those plans uh, sometime tomorrow. We are thankful that the young adults have returned back from their ski trip safely. They had a big number, I think three buses to go and Doug Ferguson uh, preached this morning in their worship service and we're thankful for that. I think the, there were several others that went on their own little ski trip and we're glad to have them back too. And uh, we're thankful that there was an El Salvador meeting tonight and we're thankful for that campaign work that's about to take place. We would invite everybody to be praying for that and we're thankful that that meeting has brought other guests in with us tonight to worship and we're glad to have you uh, here also. If you passed through the building earlier uh, this afternoon, uh, you saw something really, really wonderful, and that was a lot of second through fifth graders, our young soldiers and young ladies serving Christ at two different times. They had programs this afternoon uh, where they were able to uh, carry out what they had been working on and to, to lead, and we are thankful for them so thankful for you and what you're doing and we want you to spend your life serving God and we're thankful for the adults uh, that have worked with that for the past several months and devoted their time uh, to that also. Do keep in mind uh, just a couple reminders that the bulletin uh, will not be mailed for the next two weeks. And then also remember that Mission Sunday is this coming Sunday. And it's exciting to think of the, the work that God gives us to do. And it'll be an opportunity for us uh, to all have communication about what we're involved in and what we plan to be involved in this year. And keep in mind that the adult Bible classes will be combined here in the auditorium uh, so that we can learn more about the mission work uh, that, that God has given us to do. In the ninth chapter... In verse 24, very similar to what we've been singing. But let him who glories, glory in this, that he understands and knows me, for I am the Lord. Exercising loving kindness, judgment and righteousness in the earth, for in these I delight, says the Lord. If you're going to glory, glory in this. I understand and I know the Lord. It's almost as if he's saying, if you're going to brag about anything, brag that you know me. Just Friday evening, I was driving and, and I was listening to sports talk and I lost a station. And so I was scanning to try to pick up another station and, and I, I, I've heard a ESPN station. And so I stopped the scan there and apparently they had just come back from a commercial break. And, and apparently whatever the bumper music, music was that brought us into that, out of that break, there are three different hosts on that show. And one of them, uh, I, I didn't really hear what he said, but I picked up the comments. He must have been saying something to the effect that he lives in Miami and whoever that was that was doing that bumper music apparently lives in Miami also. And, and he was talking about how their paths had crossed and they knew each other. And it was really funny because one of the other hosts called him out and said, oh yeah, name dropping now. Is that what you're doing? So the guy tried to backpedal a little bit and act like, well, no, I mean, I wasn't. 
And then he got wrapped up in his own talk again. And he started coming right back in again about how he knew the guy again. And so the other two hosts were laughing. He says, and, and then, and so he, he started trying to backpedal again after that. And he said, look, I'm not saying we're like big buddies and we run around all the time. He says, and then finally the guy, he said to him, oh, so now it's the humble brag. And I thought, that's a good way to say it. You know, first you drop a name and then you're embarrassed that you've been called out for being a name dropper, but then you still don't want to quit on the fact that, you know, and now it's the humble brag. You know, God wants you to humble brag about this. The only way, now, like we talked about this morning, we're not talking about just an intellectual thing. We're talking about a real relationship with God. Just like if you have a close friend and someone says, do you know them? And you say, oh yes, I really know them. We're close friends. That's what God is saying. I want you to understand. I want you to know me. I want to be close to you. That's a humble brag because the only way you can get close to God is you have to humble yourself. You have to come and say, God, it's no longer about me. It's all about you. I want to belong to you. That humility, then the Lord says, if you're going to glory about anything, glory about that. Glory that you know me. Listen, if you were good friends with a celebrity, if you were good friends with an NBA or an NFL star, or if you were good friends with a congressman or, or a CEO of a Fortune 500 company, if, if you were good friends with, with someone that had, had received a, a, nation, a national or a worldwide some kind of award or a president or a vice president, odds are you'd kind of take a little bit of pride from time to time letting somebody know, yeah, that, that's one of my close friends. Do you have that same feeling? To be able to tell someone, I am close to God. I'm a very close friend with God. I hope that all of us, if we're not there, I hope we're on that path. I hope we have devoted our life to saying, God, I don't want just a relationship. I want a real, living, close relationship with you. Devoting our life to drawing nearer to God every day of our life. How do we do that? You remember we talked this morning about the challenge that Jeremiah had a very difficult life because he was sent to prophesy and to warn Judah that if they did not turn, they were going to be destroyed. And his ministry began at 20 years of age. And he, he worked with those people for 40 years and it was the last 40 years while, the Babylon, while those from Babylon came over and took them back into the Babylonian captivity. In other words, let's say it like this. He worked and worked with them and was still working with them as they were being destroyed. And then finally, his city and the temple and all was destroyed and only a remnant were taken away. Do you like to feel unsuccessful? I don't know anybody that says, hey, please, please hook me up with a job where I will feel like I didn't accomplish it. That's probably what Jeremiah wrestled with. Now he did accomplish because he stood faithful with God but he did not see the results that he wanted or God wanted because that was up to the people. Were the people going to turn? And so out of all the passages we could study, we chose today to study the temple sermon in the 7th, 8th, ninth, and 10th chapter of Jeremiah. And I'd like to take you back to that and review that very quickly and then move forward. But the reason I want you to, to review this in the 7th chapter the first uh, seven or eight verses is because this is almost like a flyover, if you will, of the sermon itself. In other words, if you get these points and you see where it's going, then the rest of the 
The rest of the sermon falls right into this. And so look in the seventh chapter, let's scan some things in verse one. The Lord told Jeremiah to go in verse two. He told him where to stand, stand in the gate of the Lord's house. He told him what to proclaim. And he was to tell the people to hear the word of the Lord. And so in verse three, the word of the Lord that they were to say is amend your ways and your doings. You remember we talked about this morning, the fact that today the politically correct thing to do is just to try to make peace with everybody and don't acknowledge that anybody's wrong. And God says, listen, when you're wrong, I have to call you out on the fact that you're wrong. And if you want to be right with me, there's only one thing you can do. You have to acknowledge that you're wrong and amend your ways. Turn back to me. If you want to just sit over here and say, oh, I'm right while you're wrong, you can sit over here and say, I'm right while you're wrong. As a matter of fact, that's part of the lesson tonight that we will see develop later on. But he's pleading through Jeremiah. He's pleading, will you turn? Will you amend your ways? Will you do the right thing? And then he gives an example of how they were using an excuse to do the wrong thing. And that is in verse four, when in the triplicate, he says, do not trust in these lying words. Now that becomes a theme almost of this sermon, the idea of lying words. And that is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, and the temple of the Lord. Apparently, as we said this morning, that was something that they would say, almost like a superstition to say, it doesn't matter what you're calling me out on and you're accusing me of doing wrong. Look, you see the big holy temple that belongs to God. It's still in our city. God is still here. We're still okay. No, what you're doing is wrong. No, the temple of the Lord, temple of the Lord, temple of the Lord. That makes it right. You may say, that seems strange. Listen, human nature is always trying to find a way to not only justify what we're doing, to say that it's right, but we like to even say, God is saying what we're doing is right. You see, that's what they were doing. They were saying, look, this temple belongs to God. God still dwells here. There's nothing wrong with us. And he's saying, do not believe those lying words. And then he throws out some things that we need to think about. If we're going to believe God and not lying words, we're going to be concerned with how we treat other people. And so he gives a few examples of here how we're going to treat other people. And he says to them, how do you treat strangers? How do you treat widows? How do you treat orphans? And do you shed innocent blood? And we need to think about those things because God is concerned about those things. If we're going to be righteous with God, we have to treat our fellow man in a just and a loving way. And so then we see that, if, by the way, if you're just scanning, we see that in five and six, what we just said. But the end of verse six leads us to a huge problem, an additional problem that they were having, a problem that created a lot of other problems. Notice the end of verse six, or walk after other gods to your hurt. You see, they oftentimes were adding to Jehovah. They were adding other gods also. In other words, you could have said to them, don't you believe in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? They said, sure, we believe in that God, but we also believe. And they would have other gods that they believed in. And so he's warning them and he says, why don't you amend your ways? Why don't you turn to me? Why don't you start treating people the way I've taught you to treat people? Why don't you do away with all of these gods that you have here? And then here's the summary, if you will, in verse eight. Behold, you trust in lying words that cannot profit. This morning, we didn't have time to develop that. I want to develop that and then pull that thread of the lying words. And what I'd like for you to do in your mind's eye, I'd like for you to see that there's kind of two parallel thoughts here that run together and it's a positive and a negative. The negative is the lying words. The lying words are going to run all through. That's the theme going to run through this sermon. But at the same time running through this sermon is God. Do you understand and do you know God? If you stay with God, you'll know truth, you'll know things that profit you. If you don't stay with God, you, you cannot leave God and go to truth. 
Does that make sense? If you leave God, you have to go to lying words. There's not, there's not, okay, if you stay with God, there's a truth with God. And if you leave God, there's another truth. There's not another truth. So when you leave God, you leave God for deception and lying words. And so notice that, but to kick that off, if you will, I want you to think about verse eight. We see three words that I would like for you to just think about and see how Jeremiah uses these in just one sentence here. One, I'd like for you to notice the word trust. Then I'd like for you to look at two words together, lying words. And then I'd like for you to look at the word prophet. First, the idea of trust. The idea of trust is to say, I believe you and I place my confidence in you. Now, what did they believe and place their confidence in? Words, but what kind of words were they? Lying words, deception. And what happened? That will never result in profit. Never. Trust, place your confidence in lying words will never produce profit. Now, let's think about this. I want you to imagine that, that you walk up on a scene that has a swinging bridge. And you've never crossed the swinging bridge before, but there's someone standing there. And, and, and then the truth is, the truth is this bridge will not support your weight. I'm not saying anything about your weight. I'm just making up an illustration here, okay? And so, so it's a fact. It's a fact that if you start across this bridge, you get halfway across the bridge, it will fall in. That's the truth. And so there's a person standing there and you're walking along and you approach that swinging bridge. And there's kind of that curiosity factor, that little bit of adventure factor that you think, Wow, that'd be really cool to walk across that swinging bridge. But then there's also that realization, it doesn't look real sturdy, I'm afraid it'll fall. And then there's this person standing here and they start trying to convince you. You really need to cross this. Look, people cross this all the time. This is the way we go every day. Children cross this, people cross this. Look, you, you just really, you'll love it. You need to cross this. So in your mind, you go back and forth. You go back and forth with this person a little bit. And then finally, what do they do? They convince you. See, now that's trust. Now keep in mind, you don't know anything about bridges. Why are you about to cross that bridge or try to? You're about to try to cross that bridge and you say to that person, I'll take your word for it. Okay? I'm trusting you. You say this bridge will hold me. I trust you that this bridge will hold me. And so now what you're about to do is you're about to act, not because you know bridges so well, you are about to act because you trust this person and you start across that bridge and it falls through and what happens? It did not profit anything. Listen, lying words can never profit. Let's illustrate that real quickly. Several of you here own your own businesses. Why are you in business? Don't be humble and modest. There's one reason why you're in business, profit. You ever do business with a business and you don't want them to profit? What you're saying is, I don't want to ever do business with you again. Because if they stop making a profit, they go out of business. They have to make profit to stay in business. Now, we understand what profit is. What if someone, myself, anyone, sat down with any of you business people and we said, hey, I want to share an adventure with you. And I think you'll really want to jump in on this. And, and I explain what the venture is. And then you say, um, what's the projected profits of this? And I say, well, that's just it. This is a guarantee loss. 
Like there's no way you can make money in this, but I still want you to participate in this. How far is that conversation going to go after that? There, there's not any of you business people here that would say, all right, let me get this right. You want me to go in business with you and you want me to invest my money and my energy, my reputation, my influence. You want me to invest all this and it is a guarantee loss. Say, That's right. Every time it's never worked yet. We, I want you to do it. Are you going to say yes? Now, please, I know these are simple, but please get this simple point that Judah wasn't getting. And he says, you are trusting full confidence in lying words that will not profit. Not once out of 99 times, once out of 999 times, never will they profit. And we hear it that way and we say, why would anyone want to believe lying words? Listen, brother, we live in a culture where people around us all across America are very comfortable saying, oh, sure, I'm a Christian. And then you can, you can start, as, as the conversation goes, you can bring up scripture and they'll roll their eyes. Listen, what's really cool today in a lot of climates is to say I'm a Christian, but what's not cool is to bring up scripture because that's old fashioned, that's archaic. How serious do you take false teaching? It will never, not once, produce anything of profit. False teaching will bring destruction every time. The problem with Judah, they were about to lose their nation and their souls, unless they happen to be that small remnant that could go to the captivity and have the opportunity to repent. They were about to lose it all, and the reason they were going to lose it all was simply over lying words. How serious is it? Let's notice how this all ties in to this sermon. If you will, flip a page in your Bible. Let's go to the seventh chapter, verse 28. So you shall say to them, this is a nation that does not obey the voice of the Lord, their God, nor receive correction. Listen to this statement. Truth has perished and has been cut off from their mouth. Why has truth perished? Because they've chosen to believe lying words. What happens? Now God will speak. They don't, want, they don't want anything to do with God. God's up here saying, oh, I just wish you understood me. I wish you knew me. And they're saying, we don't want to hear you, God. Through Jeremiah. God's pleading, will you please turn? They're saying, we don't want to make correction in our life. What's God's summary of this? Let's have a funeral. Who died? Truth. Truth has died in this nation. What about in your life individually? What about in your family? What about in a church family? How alive and healthy, how convicted are we to say, I want truth? And not just most of the time. Are you comfortable going to a Bible class where truth is taught most of the time, 98% of the time? Or is it that the standard is we want truth every time? Now, are we saying we're perfect? No, we're not perfect. But listen, there's a big difference in saying we're not perfect and saying we've lowered our standard. Our commitment must be to be perfectly committed to truth. Well, how are they getting it wrong? Notice as we go into the eighth chapter in verse six. He said, I listened and I heard but they do not speak aright. So he says one way is the people that are teaching, they're not saying truth. But then it's not just in what they speak. Look at the eighth verse of the eighth chapter. 
How can you say we are wise and the law of the Lord is with us? Look, the false pen of the scribe certainly works falsehood. Not only were they speaking lies, lying words, they were also writing lying words. They were writing false teachings. Not only that, we also see that they were promising lies. Look at verse 11. For they have healed the hurt of the daughter of my people slightly. In a better translation, some would say uh, superficially. In other words, they've healed the hurt on a surface level, saying, peace, peace. When the reality is, there is no peace. How would you feel about the integrity of a doctor that went in, uh, that you came in to see him and you told him that you were having severe headaches? And so he did tests and what he found in the headaches was that you had a brain tumor. But when he came out and reported to you, he gave you something for the pain. And you said, you mean to tell me that you think all I need is some kind of aspirin or something? And the doctor says, oh, sure, sure. Listen, peace, peace. You'll be, you'll be okay. Just, just take this right here. You'll be okay. Every one of us would say that, that doctor's not ethical. He's not, he or she's not a person of integrity. Look, look what they're doing. They need to go in and tell them, this is where this pain is coming from. It's coming from a tumor. We need to address this. We need to go to the problem. Judah was dying spiritually. They had a cancer that was running and reigning in their lives. And those that were spiritual leaders, they should have been telling them the truth. But instead, they were speaking lies, they were writing lies, and they were looking at people living in sin, and they were saying... Peace, peace. You'll, you'll be okay. And then when things needed to be addressed, remember, they'd still come back and say, but the temple of the Lord, temple of the Lord, temple of the Lord. We, we don't have to worry about this. And that brings us to the next verse. In verse 12, we see they've become very proud in their lying. Were they ashamed when they had committed abomination? No, they were not at all ashamed. Nor did they know how to blush. Therefore, they shall fall among those who fall. In the time of their punishment, they shall be cast down, says the Lord. I would think all of us can relate in some way because of something in our life where the first time we did it, we were embarrassed. We knew it was wrong, and we actually looked around and hoped that no one saw it. But then we would do it more and more. And then before long, we're comfortable doing it around a few friends that we thought would protect our privacy. And then before long, we're willing to do it out before a few more people. And before long, not only are we willing to do it, we have no shame in it. And we do it openly and publicly. And someone could even come by and say, hey, uh, I'm concerned about you. You know that that's wrong. And you begin to defend yourself. That's not wrong. There's nothing wrong with that. What, what would make you think that's wrong? How do we get to that point where we can sin openly and notice he says, not even blush. How do we get there? We, we harden our heart. We defile the conscience so that the conscience is no longer a guide that is appropriate to us. Imagine having a compass that something's wrong with it. At one time, it worked very well to direct you in the right direction. But then something became wrong with the compass and, and now it's telling you one thing, but that's not the direction that is correct. 
That's what our conscience becomes whenever we allow it to continually be defiled. And here's our challenge. We don't have time to delve in this tonight, but I encourage you to really think about this. What happens is our culture also has a challenge. They also, in a sense, and I'm, I'm using this very broadly here, our culture has a conscience. And there were things that years ago, even culture would say, ooh, that's, that's not right. That's not right. And our culture has quickly, not quickly, but over the decades has hardened to that kind of guide to where now the very things that our culture would have said several decades, that's absolutely wrong. Now culture will openly embrace. Now our challenge is, are we going to allow culture to be our conscience? Or are we going to allow truth to be our conscience? Modesty. What was modest in the 40s or 50s or 60s? Let's go back to at least the 40s or 50s. What was modest? What's considered modest today? You remember, maybe not actually, some of you actually, others by knowledge sake. Remember when the bikini was introduced? You remember one of the songs that came out right along with it? Little bitty, itsy bitty. You remember the whole story of that song? That song wasn't written by Christians. It was written about a girl that was too ashamed, she was blushing, to come out and wear that in public because that song was about what women were experiencing around the world as they were trying to figure out, are they going to be one in the minority that would dress that way in public? And as a matter of fact, the, the, the uh, designer that first created the bikini, tried to find models that would wear it. And finally, he had to hire a prostitute to model his work because he could not find a model that would wear it. Now what's changed? Just a few decades ago, in America, homosexuality would be considered wrong. Today, it's openly practiced and even embraced in a redefining of marriage. Just a few decades ago, most people in the community would agree completely that gambling is not a good example. It's not wise stewardship. And today, our communities would embrace it and say, it's a wonderful way to send kids to school. We could go on all night, all night talking about things that have changed over the past, just definitely easily in the lifetime of several in this room. And what we have to do is we need to each individually give ourself and our soul and our God some serious study. What does God expect me to do with my money? What does God expect me to do with my body? What does God expect me to do 
with my relationships. And it doesn't matter one iota what culture says. What does God want? Culture, which it was their religious culture, had been speaking lies, had been writing lies, had been promising lies. Oh, go ahead and do that. Go ahead and do that. Peace to you, peace to you. Go ahead and do that. And by the way, even if somebody says it's wrong, just say the temple of the Lord, temple of the Lord, temple of the Lord. It's okay. And then finally he says, look, you don't even have the ability to blush anymore. Something has really happened to your compass. So what's going to happen here? Look, if you will, the ninth chapter and verse six, and this is a place that I hope none of us ever live, but we could easily move here. We could easily find ourselves here. In the ninth chapter and verse six, this is how he's not summing up, but in a sense, just to the point he is, he's summarizing this. And he says, your dwelling place is in the midst of deceit. Through deceit, they refuse to know me, says the Lord. Hey, Judah, where are you living? We're living in God's holy temple, or his holy city. We're living in the city that has the temple of God. You know, God dwells in the holies of holies. We are living in God's city. And God says, no, you only think that's where you live. Geographically, your address might be Jerusalem. But let me tell you where you're living. You've moved in a new neighborhood and it's right in the middle of deceit. You're believing the lies, hook, line, and sinker. And notice, this is what's so important for where we begin and where we'll end right now. Look at the, the last part of verse six. If that's where we're gonna live in the midst of deceit, he says, through deceit, they refuse to know me. Now, if you have your Bible open, look there at the ninth chapter in verse 24. We've read this verse several times today. We started with it tonight. And notice he says, but let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me. Do you see what God is saying? He said, I want to know God. I want to know God. You cannot say, well, I'm half-hearted about whether or not I'm living the deceit or the truth. God says, you can't know me then. Because if you're going to live in the middle of deceit, you can never know me. It takes a hunger and a yearning for us to say, Lord, I lay down my life at your feet. Whatever ways I need to amend, whatever ways I need to change, Lord, I'm coming to you. And I'm not going to let man's wisdom, man's might, or man's riches become the controlling factor in my life. Look at the ninth chapter in verse 23. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man glory in his might, nor let the rich man glory in his riches. But let him glory in this, that he understands and knows the Lord. What would the wisdom be? Flip a page in the 10th chapter and 23. O Lord, I know the way of man is not in himself. It's not in man who walks to direct his own steps. I want to challenge you for this week. I hope you and I can do this for the rest of our life. But I want you to be keenly aware of it this week. I want to challenge you when you think about how are you going to live your life. Are you going to live your life by man's wisdom or by God's wisdom? I want to challenge you this week to not ever make a decision based on what you feel. What about that just for an exercise? To say every time I make a decision, I'm gonna stop and say, 
to myself instead of, I feel like this is right, I'm going to say, what does God's word say on this? And what we might find out is we got to do a lot of Bible study over the next few weeks until we really get to the bottom of what God says about things. When you think about wisdom, you've got to make a decision. Who do you go to for advice? Do you go to people that just tell you based off their years of experience? Or do you go to people that can tell you what God says? Listen, none of us have business going to someone that will give us advice that's not from God. Where are we going to go to figure out how to live? Well, ultimately, we go to God. When we understand and know God, we know how to live. And so what is he saying here? He's saying, don't glory in man's wisdom. Don't glory in man's might. I wish we had time, we don't. But Deuteronomy, the eighth chapter, is a prophecy that literally, Jeremiah had to be referring to it here. They knew that they were about to go over into the promised land. And Moses is warning them. And he says, in the eighth chapter, you're going to go over there and you're going to get your bellies full and you're going to live in these big houses and you're going to forget God. And then he went on to say, he says, you're going to say, the power of my hand and by my might, I have gained this wealth. And he said, then the next thing you're going to do is you're going to turn to other gods. And look, that is exactly what we're reading about here in Jeremiah. He's saying, you're going to say it's by my might, it's by my power. And he says, no, the answer is, it's God, no God. When you drive your automobile home tonight, I want to encourage every one of us to look at that automobile and thank God. Because it's by His power and His might that you own that automobile. You walk in your house, you thank God because it's by His power and His might that you have that house. If you have a job to go to in the morning, you get up and you thank God for that job because it's His power and His might. And when we start living every day recognizing I'm not going to live by my wisdom and I realize that if I had to rely upon my might and my riches, I'd be broke. But if we can rely upon God's might and upon God's riches, we are rich and we are strong and we are wise. Why? Did I tell you about a friend I know? He's the richest man I've ever met. He knows more than anybody I've ever known. He's mighty. He's strong. And he loves you more than anybody has ever loved you. And he doesn't say, get your life all perfect and come to me. Because no one could do that. He says, are you just willing to surrender to me? Are you willing to be humble enough to say, Lord, I come to you. And from now on, it's all about you. I want to be close to you. This evening, if there's anything we can do to help you get closer to God, it would have been a great success to be here. If you know that you are ready to become a child of God, baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins, a believer willing to repent of those sins, confess, Lord, we'd love to help you do that. If you've been a child of God and along the way you've lost the way, We'd like to help you. We'd love to pray with you and for you. We'd love to encourage you. But ultimately, ultimately, the reason to come forward if you need to do that tonight is so that you can be close to God. 
And this week, the reason to get up every day and live a religious life, a life as a Christian, is to be close to God. You should literally say, I want all my life to be all about you.